Hello, Pastor Steve Waldron with Biblical Archaeology Today. I'm so grateful you're here with us. I'm extraordinarily thankful to be your host. We're looking at some early Christian writings, so-called Christian in many cases. That's the reason we've named this one uh, heretical uh, church writings or heretical uh, Christian writings, so to speak, is just because of that fact. And so we're on earlychristianwriting.com, excellent website. You may want to check out our other podcast on this particular uh, subject. So we're in the Act of Peter. Again, thanks for being with us. Join us daily. So some information on the Act of Peter. Marvin Meyer writes, the Act of Peter is the fourth and concluding tractate in Berlin Gnostic Codex 8502, following the Gospel of Mary, the Secret Book of John, and the Wisdom of Jesus Christ. The text occupies pages 128 to 141 of the Codex, although pages 133 and 134 are missing. There is a brief colophon on page 142 at the end of the Codex. The title for the Act of Peter has been discussed rather extensively on account of peculiarity of the use of the singular, the act, to praxis, the possibility of its relationship to the other Vercelli acts of Peter, actus Vercellensis. Such a use of the singular is also demonstrating an instance of the act of Andrew. So while the text itself doesn't contain Gnosticism, Douglas M. Parrott gives an explanation for its inclusion the Berlin Gnostic Codex 8502. Perhaps a sufficient reason is the rich possibilities for allegorization this story would have presented the Gnostics. Ptolemy could have represented a soul whose attraction to the things of the world represented by the beauty of Peter's daughter leads to ignorance represented by grief and blindness. Marvin Meyer writes, The story told in the Act of Peter is also alluded to, as we've noted in Augustine, Augustine. There are further indication of this story, a similar story, in the Acts of Philip 42 and the Acts of Nereus and Achilles 15. Reference in the Act Acts plural of Philip is brief. The Acts of Nereus and Achilles tells a longer tale. Nagamadai. So, not specifically Gnostic, but Gnostic nonetheless. <laughs> and it dates from about 150 to 350 AD. You'll notice the difficulty they have dating these things. So, the concept of our great power is the next ancient text they've discovered in archaeology. So Madeline Scopello observes the concept of our great power as a tractate that exists only in the Coptic version of Nag Hammadi Codex 6, translated from an original Greek text. And they can tell that through the translation methods, by the way. It's 12 pages in length and has a few short lacunae. The Coptic employed by the translator is Sahidic with a few dialectical characteristics portions of the treatise Berger A. Pearson, Tractate opens with the invitation of the readers or hearers to come to a knowledge of our great power. This is followed by an account of the creation. The great power, identified as fire, enters chaos, sets in motion, qualities, universe is composed, spirit, souls, and flesh. And, you know, you get a little bit of, like, fables of Miletus in that because... He thought everything was made out of fire. My sir, memory serves me correct. Um, we're going to look at the official uh, definition of lacunae 
an empty space or missing part, a gap. So a lacunae is when it's missing part of it. The Acts of Pilate, now this is one of the more fascinating early Christian writings, so-called Christian. Jay Queston writes in Patrology, the tendency to minimize the guilt of Pilate, which is found in the Gospel according to Peter, shows the keen interest which the ancient Christian Ancient Christianity regarded his person, the prominent position occupied by Pontius Pilate in early Christian thought, is further evidenced by the Gospel of Nicodemus. Into this narrative have been incorporated so-called Acts of Pilate, supposed official report of the procurator concerning Jesus. I will tell you, it's known they sell it popularly, usually as the Archco volume, and it's in that. And... Um... You know, it's pretty interesting, his description of Jesus. I've got friends that just really think it's legitimate. I, I don't think so. They, like, preach it. F.F. <laughs> Bruce writes in New Testament documents, are they reliable? And he's normally very reliable. We should especially like to know if Pilate sent home to Rome any report of the trial and execution of Jesus, and if so, what it contained. But it is not certain that he must have done so, and if he did, it has disappeared beyond trace. And you occasionally hear like Tertullian, Justin Martyr, they'll mention Roman records that, hey, this is in Roman records. And it dates anywhere from 150 to 400 AD. Again, you see the expansive dating they're not sure of. One last one we'll do for this particular podcast is the anti-Marcionite prologues, which is fascinating. Helmut Coaster writes, ancient Christian Gospels, also with respect to the so-called anti-Marcionite Gospel prologues. Serious questions have been raised concerning an early date. These prologues, religiously composed in Greek, appear in several dozen Latin Bible manuscripts. Only prologues for Mark, Luke, and John are extant. The prologue for Luke is also preserved in Greek. It's very doubtful whether these prologues can be considered as a unit. They must have been composed separately. It's not possible to assign the same date to all three prologues. While a date in the second half of the 4th century is likely for the prologues for Mark and John, the second part of the prologue for Mark, excuse me, for Luke, the first part of the latter may have been written much earlier. And uh, Luke is a Syrian of Antioch, a Syrian by race, a physician by profession. He has become a disciple of the apostles, later followed Paul until his Paul's martyrdom, having served the Lord continuously unmarried without children, filled the Holy Spirit. He died at the age of 84 in Bosia. So we just don't know. And I'm wondering, by anti-Martianite prologues, does that have anything to do with the Priscillian or the Monarchian prologues? But anyhow, Marcion was a heretic of the second century. And so these were writing against. And a lot of times, you know, that people talk about seven great ecumenical councils, but there were tons of councils that, you know, very little is known of. But when you do find out things about them, a lot of times they're still condemning Marcion, which they wouldn't if it wasn't still around. So again, some pretty fascinating things, especially mostly heretical (laughs) writings in the early church. So God bless. We love you. Please subscribe. Leave a five-star review. Helps people find us and to share with your friends, family, church, family. God bless you. Bye-bye.